and welcome to A Volcano Baked Meat Appetizer. I'm Jessica. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And today we're going to have a short, casual discussion on short, casual games. So guys, first question, what game did you have a problem with and why? And problem meaning, like, you couldn't bring yourself to stop. That's a long list for me. I will put Burrito Bison on that list, which is, as I've said before in a previous article, a game where you play as a minotaur that has been trapped in a world of gummy bears and whose wallet has been stolen. And you launch off of a trampoline to lucha slam the gummy bears until you get out of the gummy bear world. I also have had a problem with wedding salon, despite my complete disinterest in weddings. Or salons. Or salons. I bought that for actual money. And I will admit that here on the radio, it feels good to get it out. It's okay, just let it out, Paige. First step is admitting your problem. Grant? So as anybody who looks at our fancy new about page, we'll see. My fun fact, I played a lot of Tetris in high school. I had Tetris DS, and it was pretty much what I'd do during study halls or when I got home or all the time. I'd just play Tetris DS, and Tetris DS, it maxes out at 999. So I got both the lines and the level maxed out, which is 10,000 lines, and I kept going for a while. I would play Tetris for an hour or so while I was watching TV or something. And then when I got bored, I'd pause the game, close my DS, plug it in, and leave it. And then come back, open it, and keep playing. I just kept going. And I had a game that went on for several weeks of just me playing Tetris obsessively. I had to keep track by with the score at the top. Which is, like, I think that's the only time you ever pay attention to your score at the top in a video game these days. Because, like, fighting games still keep scores sometimes. There's no point. So I played a lot of that. And then lately, I have invested a not insignificant amount of hours into Stardew Valley. And I'd like to say that you're talking about your Tetris problem as if it's in the past. I would like to state that he, he is a teacher, and last year his students knew about his love for Tetris. They were aware of it to the degree where one of them brought us a 3D Perler Art GBA with Tetris playing on the screen. When it got to the end of the year, when they were well-behaved as a treat, I would play Tetris on the projector for a few minutes before the bell rang. As a treat. <laughs> As a treat. Hey, they really no, loved no. it. Oh, no. I they can, loved it. I can completely believe it. I'm just amused that as a treat to your students, you got to play Tetris. <laughs> they loved it. And I would keep my, my high score on the board to see if any student could break it, and none of them ever could. There you go. <laughs> I don't have a problem. No, I do. I do. I really do. Um, so, a few years back, basically six years back, almost to the day, we're getting close to the anniversary, I found Robot Unicorn Attack. And when we first started playing, it was when it was huge, right? Across the street, there was a frat house that was literally playing the Always I Wanna Be. Like, That's the, the kind time. of college we went to. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. I would obsessively check my friends' high scores and try to beat them within 10 minutes of seeing the new high score posted. And I did, consistently. Yeah, there was <laughs> one time where you had dominated the scoreboards for a good two or three weeks straight. Yeah. And I was getting a little frustrated, because before you started playing, I always had the top spot. Yeah. And then, like, you just came out of nowhere and started demolishing all my scores. And then finally, one day, I was really angry about something. 
and I just needed to do something to take my mind off of it. I was really, really pissed off, and so I played Robot Unicorn Attack. And Don't tread on my territory, bro. The spirit of vengeance was with me, and I demolished your high score by a good, like, 50,000, 60,000 points. No, I remember. And, and then, then the next morning, you'd beat me again, and I was like, fuck! No, and what's and really that was funny... I gave up. I gave up after that. No, I remember very distinctly. So, on my end of things... I had, you know, just been doing normal schoolwork, literally in the middle of homework. I see an update. Grant has that high score. It's ridiculously high. I'm like, this homework can wait. (laughs) (laughs) All night. I think I got that high score at about 2 (laughs) a.m. I didn't realize that you worked so hard to (laughs) defeat me back then. It was so hard. I I kept getting closer and closer, but not quite beating it. For a while, we were tied. (laughs) That was before I knew either of you, actually. I would like to go to a slightly more recent obsession, because it was senior year in college when 2048 came out. Oh yeah, that also is uh, a continuing addiction, although less so, because recently I have Robot Unicorn Attack 2, so that one's back in my life. 2048 occasionally What's rears its head. You've gotten? I don't remember the score, but I know I got, what is it, 80... In 8192? 8192, yeah. And then I had... I know I had a couple 2048s that were in there, but I couldn't mash them together. It drove me nuts. But yeah, no. That one, when it came out, I didn't play it for the first couple weeks, because I sort of was like... I didn't think it was dumb. I just sort (laughs) of figured it was a fad that would pass, and I didn't... And you were right, I mean... and, And I was right. The problem is I got attached to the fad way after it had passed. So... I did what my mother tends to do. I got pretty addicted to that, and I remember one day in particular, I was sitting there playing 2048, just trying to beat it, trying to kind of figure out the puzzle of it, and Connor was in the room with me, and he's like, I gotta go to work. And so he left for, you know, it's work-study, so it was a two-hour shift. And he comes back in, and to me, it was, he just sort of comes back in after a minute, and I'm like, oh, did you forget your hoodie? And he goes... No, I finished my shift. (laughs) I'm like, no, you did not. That was not two hours that I've been sitting here playing fucking 2048. Playing 2048, I kind of, I think, I feel like I understand how the ecologists or whatever that are trying to get pandas to breed feel like. You got a 2048 block here and you got a 2048 block here. Just, just, just come together, damn it. It's true. But I I think we've clearly established that all three of us have a deep capacity to get hooked. And we've covered the question I had next, which was, how does it get to you? I think that was... It's rewards. It's it's the reward system, I think. It's the rewards and the frustration. And it's actually really fascinating, just on, like, the psych level of things, how it it works, because it's definitely triggering a lot of those addictive... Oh, you're definitely Features. a mouse. You're definitely a mouse in a box. Oh, you you're were one hundred percent. You were one hundred percent a mouse in the box, pressing the give me the give me the adrenaline. It's great, but the fascinating thing is the ones that do it well are the ones that don't give you. It's the intermittent <laughs> reward, right? So, see, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true because, like. You don't want to get the reward every time, right? Because if you get the reward every time, it gets well, what boring are we, really fast. What are, what, are we, what are we defining as every time? So Robot unicorn attack. Mouse in the box, you press the button, you get the hit of adrenaline, right? Yeah. In a casual game, you definitely 
want to hit the adrenaline button, but there has to be some sort of challenge to get you to that adrenaline okay. button. Otherwise, you're going to find something else that stimulates you better, gets you the better Right, high. okay, well, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't clear what you meant. And like Jessica's story of trying to beat your high score... I probably wouldn't have cared if you hadn't kept beating the high score. <laughs> yeah, no. If, if you could beat it the next time, you'd be like, oh, I'm better than everybody, done. But you stayed up till 2 a.m. trying to beat it. Because you knew you could get there, but you weren't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's interesting here that both of you mentioned in yours, but I don't think came in in mine at all, is the competitive aspect. Oh, yeah. That is one thing. Is You were the best at wedding salon. I was the best at wedding. Actually, there was a little bit of competition in Burrito Bison because Grant and I were playing it at approximately the same time, or at least Burrito Bison too. Yeah. But for wedding salon, no one was playing against me. And I was pretty much beating every level most of the time the first time. I just really liked raking up fake money. Well, that would be one that I would almost say is competitive. I'm not sure if competitive is the right word, but it's the same sort of trick of just, you know that there's an optimal way to do it. (laughs) For instance, uh, another one that a lot of people know, Angry Birds. When I first started playing that, that was another. I wanted to beat Connor's high score, but I mostly only cared about getting... The all, three stars. All three stars. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it, once I hit three stars, I didn't really care the score. It was, if I get three stars, I know I've done well. Well, and there's something to that that's just not even, I did something good, but I am smart. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of Flow Free, I think it's called, where it's, you've got a lot of collections of colored balls, and you have to connect the two colored balls without crossing over any of the lines for the other balls. Please keep saying balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thing about Flow Free... Other than the fact that you could level up and go to the next level and get a higher level of challenge, is when you finished it, you felt very, very smart. So even though there wasn't another person you were directly competing against, you could assume that you were smarter than some theoretical other person. Exactly. Interestingly, on a very different level, and these, while casual games, I would definitely class, I would classify them as casual. I, I think they're only on PlayStation Three. That collection of meditative games of Journey, Flow, and Flower. Yeah, because I can't remember the studio's name, but they are first-party Sony developers. So yeah, those are PS3 only. So weirdly, I have not played Journey yet, but... It's free on PS Plus for PS4 this month. I still have Journey. I've owned it since I bought the collection. I was crazy addicted to Flower for a bit. There's no competitive nature in that one. In Flow, there kind of is because you're like these little amoeba things, and as you eat your food, you get bigger, and then you can eat bigger amoeba things. And We've all played that game. It might yeah. as well be a Katamari Demose. Essentially. Deal. So that's that's more or less what it is. In Flower, it's literally you're just a ball of light that makes things bloom and is pretty. Mm-hmm. And it's unbelievably addictive. And in a way that I, I'm not sure matches most of these other casual games, because it's there is a pattern that you can follow to that, and you do have to, like get a particular area all bl- all in bloom, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's any better way to do it. It's just, that's the goal, and there are pretty colors and lights. But I also think that that triggers a similar reward system, and it's done in such a way that's much more meditative. Yeah. And so the rewards you get are a little bit different from other casual games. So. Well, what I think is kind of interesting is that like we're calling them casual games, but all the examples we've given are games that you could qualify as casual but that we got very hardcore about. And so maybe what makes a really good casual game is the freedom to be very hardcore about it. 2048, you can just be like, blah, 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 play with it, whatever. But no, we've figured out, okay, you pick a direction, 
And you pick a secondary direction, and there's a formula. Or Stardew Valley is just sort of, you go and you harvest your crops, and then you get married and make friends with the townsfolk. But I have taken Stardew Valley incredibly seriously, where I have... Do you have one of every tree in the greenhouse? Because that's the only way to do it. No, the greenhouse is full of cranberries. Oh, no. You do one of every tree in the the greenhouse, because then you have fruit going all the time, and then you also have your rows of... But if you have cranberries in the greenhouse, you have fruit growing all the time in the greenhouse. Yeah, cranberries are more valuable than tree fruits. From a a purely monetary perspective. Okay, can we stop for a second? Cranberries are superior. And to show that an argument has broken out over a casual game in a (laughs) quasi-professional... situation because emotions run that high. Yep, same is true. Uh, another casual game I know neither of you play, but definitely is bigger on the world right now. Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. right? Um, we well, would play if we could. <laughs> I know. While the fad has definitely taken a bit of a dip, there's still really widespread play of it. It is one of those things where I can't say what team I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a little scared to admit what team I'm on sometimes. Valor. <laughs> we we rock. But, like, there is that Do the other scrubs of... need to get good? No, honestly, I legitimately don't care about teams. I, I hung out with a friend the other day who was Team Instinct, and we just sort of wandered around and caught Pokemon. It was great. As someone outside of it, it all does look very silly. It is very silly, although I will say the silliest part of it is the people who claim to be Team Harmony who never pick a team. That I'm is like, the silliest part. That's just dumb, because then you're cutting yourself off from a whole aspect of the game. So, sorry, if you're Team Harmony, you are the dumbest of all (laughs) You need to get the goodest. Yeah. I think the thing that makes it casual, even though we don't play it casually, is how easily accessible it is. Yeah. Because something like a lot of the games we were talking about, 2048, Angry Birds, you can play that on the bus. You cannot play Dishonored on the bus. You can, there are setups, but it's not something everybody has access to. Yes. Well, and even if you have access there, most games you cannot pick up and then let off at a random time. Mm -hmm. They are meant to be bite-sized chunks. Yeah, where you can play them either for like five minutes or you can spend six hours of your day. (laughs) I had a day this week where I don't want to know how much time of it I spent playing Stardew and I was disappointed in myself. When I first started playing Stardew, over a two-week period, I played a hundred hours. Wow. Yeah, no, uh, I I have ended at the 100-hour mark. I saw that and was mildly disgusted, but also I had pretty much done everything I wanted to do in the game. Now, how much money did you have? Literally millions. Okay. I had nothing left to buy, and everyone loved me. Seriously, eight hearts on everybody. Oh, wow. Okay. I had had a You were more hardcore than me. I did not see my child grow up, though, so that's the one thing I still need to do. Also, I need to get a dinosaur. It's true, I have a dinosaur. Yeah. You, I have two dinosaurs actually. You, you got a dinosaur. I have not I have not gone out and got the dinosaur. Although Paige has a void chicken. You have a void chicken? I have a void chicken. Its name is Orin. Again. <laughs> casual game. <laughs> Passion. Yeah. And I think that that is impressive because it allows gaming to be accessible by both hardcore people and normal people. Well, Normal people. Normal people. Normies. The muggles. The muggles. Something that's really hard if you haven't been in games to access, I think the Geek to Geek cast mentioned that, is that people who have not been playing games all their lives, it's not even a matter of whether their fingers are dexterous enough. There's a language you learn to decode. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the example they used was when you're in Halloween Town in Kingdom Hearts, Jack Skellington says, go to the graveyard or something like that. If you are not used to games, unless it's an obvious thing, like there are lots of gravestones around, 
you will not remember that that's Halloween Square. You will remember it's that one section I went to before I went to the other section. I don't remember what all these sections' names are because you haven't learned to keep those structured in your brain. Casual games usually are a very basic structure. There will be some variation as it gets more difficult, but it's usually just that, you know, it gets a little faster, it has a few more balls in the game of Flow Free, that kind of thing where it's a evolution of the structure and there's less variance expected. And they give you, they do a fair amount of hand-holding to make sure you understand everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think what can make one that's really good is when there is also depth that is not necessary. I only just learned after I think a good 50 or 60 hours of Stardew, that beehives will produce better honey if you have a flower planted near it. Yep. And technically it's in the it's in the flavor text, so it was just, I didn't look at it, but I was like, oh, you can do that. So yeah. there's this, I have a spot in my greenhouse where I have a fairy rose that's grown and I'll never cut down, and it's surrounded in a geometrically optimal formation by beehives. So I can be harvesting my cranberries mm -hmm. and my fairy rose honey all at the same time. And I can do that. Because it's got that depth to it, but at the same time, somebody who never bothers thinking about it or doing it that way and just wants to plant their crops and milk their cows can have just as much fun with the game. And oppose that to something like Wind Waker, which a lot of my house has been playing it right now. Wind Waker, a lot of the fun and the challenge is getting new equipment and seeing how you use that and getting new bosses that use the equipment in different ways. While in Angry Birds, a lot of the challenge is maybe you'll have a new kind of block but it's just a more difficult pattern, and maybe you have less birds. Yeah, like, you only have one bomb bird as opposed to seven yeah. normal red birds. <laughs> so, simple premise, a, 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 a day to learn, a lifetime to master, makes a good casual game. I think we can all agree. Although, actually, I do want to point out before we move on, that does not mean I have not been hooked by a bad casual game. Because there are times where my brain is dead, and I just need something that's a very slightly higher level of brain than I am currently expressing, but not in a high enough level of brain to be quality. I have said on the podcast before, and I will say it again, I've played a lot of hidden object games, and those are not good. They're not interesting. They don't take a lifetime to master. It's like, the simple hidden object games are just bad. I have feelings on hidden object <laughs> games. <laughs> I like the ones that mix it with another game because there will be some where they're like almost apologetic about being a hidden object game so in between levels you'll play like Bejeweled and it's just like well you don't like this one we'll shove this other one in that we're sure you like actually see Grant has a problem with Bejeweled and we did not mention that earlier it's true I, I played a lot of Bejeweled 2 and then I got all of the quest items in Bejeweled 3 and then I just picked up Puzzle Quest which was, hey, we took Bejeweled and then also made it a turn-based RPG. And I'm pretty sure I'm never going to play any other game ever again. No. Nope. No, nope, that's it. I can, I'm going to play this for the rest of my life. <laughs> and Bejeweled, by the initial look, is going to be bad. Oh, you have to match three gems. Done. No, it's, but it's, it's, it's pretty painfully addictive. It's I remember when addictive. they first came out with Bejeweled, my mom was playing it all the time. And I'm like, Mom, this game is really stupid. Why are you playing it? Mm -hmm. And then I played some. God bless Pop yeah. Gap. And then I I think I apologize to her, but if not, I'm sorry, Mom. You were right. Bejeweled is great. Yeah. Because it definitely gets more complex. You can tell when you're getting better. And that's one of you the big can. things about how casual game works is when you can feel that you're getting better. You know, the greatest casual game? Solitaire. Just that. The, the, just that's actually also a true story. I have the Solitaire app on my phone. 
but it has the daily challenge. I'm I'm rounding up on a year of completing the daily challenge every single wow. day. Wow, that's so much more than me. I was doing that for no. like four or five months, and then I dropped out for a while, and then I go back on for a good month or two. And I've been consistently, and not always the day it comes out. Sometimes I'll forget, and I'll go and I'll do two or three at a time. Yeah. But it's pretty much my daily thing is... When I was working, when I was teaching, as soon as all the kids left at the end of my last class period, my de-stress was I sat down, made sure I didn't have any important emails, and did my daily hand of solitaire, and then I got to grading. Or now, you know, when it's summer, Paige will leave for work, and then before I get out of bed, I play my hand of solitaire, then I get up and pee and start my day. Solitaire, solitaire is, it's the first high we're all chasing. We're all trying to find that game that makes us feel like Solitaire did at the beginning. With these casual games, there is always a bit of a stigma with there's a little bit of shame in playing casual games. There's this concept that there should be shame. Is there actually, and why do you think so? For one thing, it's the game your mom plays. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I did just say I started playing Bejeweled after seeing my mom play it. Yeah. Apparently my mom is also pretty good at Tetris. Apparently my mom played Tetris blindfolded with drunk friends telling her which pieces were coming next. And wow. Your mom's legit. I don't know what the score was on that, because she can't... That's true. She did it. That doesn't mean she did well. The story was that it was awesome, and she actually did really well considering the circumstances, but what the actual score was, who knows? She forgot everyone else who was there was intoxicated. <laughs> so also forgot. <laughs> and I think part of it is, you know, it's moms play it, kids play it. We expect ourselves to be more serious in whatever way. It's like saying that you watch My Little Pony and aren't a brony where yeah. there's there might be a simple pleasure in the characters of a story i watched a lot of word girl in high school which is a pbs show for small children learning initial vocabulary it's okay cyber chase was mine we've had this discussion cyber chase was everybody mm-hmm. yeah we all watched cyber chase but none all of us want to admit, admit it, it. <laughs> but literally all of us watch cyber chase it's okay and, and it's that kind of thing where there's this idea that we should be better than this we I only are, play serious video games. We are adults with the intellectual capacity to understand storylines, to get into characters, to go through difficult gameplay. Why would we waste our time on something that our mom could learn? No offense to any moms out there who game. We are talking about specifically our mothers. And the stereotypical quote-unquote mom who... You know, stereotypical mom doesn't know anything about video games. And except just, Candy Crush. Except Candy Crush, and now Pokemon Go. Look, Might cut, still call it Pokemon, though. There is something about the barrier to entry being a lot lower. These are games that stereotypical mom can play, stereotypical dad can play, stereotypical five-year-old child who got a hold of the iPad can play. Like, and do play. And do play, and often do very well. These are... Low barrier to entry games, and as hardcore gamers, there is something to the effect of being a wine taster who doesn't want to admit that you also kind of like the boxed wine. Boxed wine is great. I think there's also an element of retaliation to it, because for so long, the stigma was on the gamer, and it still kind of is. Yes. There's the stereotype that is not always true, but there's the stereotype that you see of the guy who plays... You know, he binges a bunch of Skyrim and plays Skyrim all weekend, and then his girlfriend shows up and is I think you should stop playing that game because I think you're addicted, and she's playing Candy Crush constantly all the time. That's the stereotype. So I think a lot of it is the really serious, hardcore gamers that I'm saying in big air quotes get frustrated by the fact that 
people who play those casual games still look down on quote-unquote serious games. And it is the people who actually buy into those stereotypes, too. And they feel like it's there's an element of retaliation to it of like well you're at and least I, if you're gonna spend all that time playing a game at least i'm playing a game that has serious mechanics and a storyline i also think that in general the gaming sphere has just always sort of been kind of looked down upon a little bit oh, absolutely I mean, like, and so now it's fuck you early, we liked this before it was cool exactly early early gaming was really there's a reason the stereotype of the closet <laughs> the closeted gamer existed that's what there was <laughs> yeah they're, they're and, the, the stereotype of the neckbeard basement version admittedly we all sort of fall into it to some degree not all of us to the we're all large men who live in our mother's basements but the, i am yeah Paige definitely is you should see her one reason I think is there is, kind of goes into what you're saying, but the being popular now, it's kind of like if you were into a band before they were cool, and then they went pop, and now everyone's listening to them and talking about the pop songs, and you still like the deep cuts that were back there when they were kind of alty. It's that. where, And even if you like their new poppy stuff, and you, you still have it on your iPod, and you listen to it yeah. quietly, you are going to complain. Yeah, small part of me. I honestly liked Maroon 5 before they got too poppy. Now they're really poppy, and they're really catchy, and I do like them. And I have a little bit of... You have complicated feelings. Such complicated feelings for Maroon 5. Actually, that is a good point, because a lot of times, if you dare to venture onto the comment section of anything on the internet involving video games, quick shout out to the Google Chrome extension, Shut Up, disables all comment sections everywhere on the internet. Hmm. Yeah. And you can and you can whitelist certain places so you can still see like Facebook and Reddit comments. If you venture into <laughs> IGN comments or whatever, whenever there's anything about any kind of casual game or anything about anything involving microtransactions, because the two go hand in hand a lot of the time, there's always comments of, well, this is why gaming is dying, and oh, well, RIP gaming, it's gone now, this is it, culture's over, we're done, video games are ruined, dude. Microtransactions don't kill anything. Mike, they don't. They might kill individual games if it's one of those you need to buy the microtransaction, it's yeah. a pay-to-play type thing. Okay, then maybe. But there might be an element of that, too, where there are people who, and there's a lot of the younger gamers who, are, who don't have quite the perspective, because I heard a lot of these kinds of comments, again, as a teacher, of, oh, apps are killing video games. They're no. the cancer of video games. It's the worst. And it's like, just because a lot of individual ones are bad, it doesn't mean that... You know, just calm down, children. No, in fact, I might argue that apps are saving video games because, well, I mean, when we were talking about our adaptation stuff, it basically siphons off all the It siphons the off shit. a lot of the crap, yeah. Yeah, and then you have your poorly managed games that don't turn out well, but have you noticed that standards have gotten a lot higher in a lot of AAA titles that have come out? It's because we don't have so much shit hanging around. <laughs> well, and that also is part of what creates the perception, though, is, for one thing... App games can be made more cheaply, and so there's probably yeah. more costs going into AAA titles, obviously. And so, in some cases, that means better quality. That does mean you can get a writing staff. That means you can get more people to work on things. And sometimes that turns into amazing games. But also, there's some cost fallacy, where if you have spent sixty bucks on a game, someone got twenty forty eight on their phone, and they're having as much fun with it as you are having on the game you spent sixty bucks on, you are going to be butthurt. Another one that I feel like deserves an honorable mention are things like Dota 2. Where, yeah, where, it's, where it, it takes that free-to-play model but it makes is, it work. It is the free-to-play model of 
your app idea of you jump in and you play it and you can play it as much as you want for free but if you want certain elements and admittedly I don't play Dota 2 and I'm speaking about this from the perspective of being Jeff's roommate. All I'm able to gather is that those microtransactions are purely for cosmetic I'm purposes. fairly certain they're purely cosmetic. Purely I think it's cosmetic. Other MOBAs lock characters. I know that like League of Legends and Heroes of the Storm both are there are the free characters on rotation, but if you want to have a character permanently, you have to buy them individually. Mm-hmm. The Marvel MMO does that, actually, when yeah. you get to pick one hero for free when you start. All heroes are free up level 10, I think, and you get to pick one to unlimit their levels beyond that. But then after that, you can get new superheroes as random drops, because it's a Diablo clone, or you can just pay to have a hero from the start. Yeah, and... What's interesting about those games is that the fascinating thing about why they work is that you can just jump in, but that doesn't mean the barrier to entry is the same as like an app game, where a lot of app games are, you don't need any former gaming experience, this is going to walk you through it, you'll understand how to play, and then it's just, you go, while... Dota or the Marvel game and so forth. Path of Exiles and others are the other big free-to-play Diablo clone. They're very much you jump in and you're gonna suck when you start. But as you get used to them, you might get into it more and really start to enjoy the concept of it. And then if you are playing it a lot, you're gonna be like, you know, I've played this game a lot. I should probably help fund it so that it can keep going. And then you'd be more willing to buy purely cosmetic things or that other character that you've been wanting to try out some more or whatever. I think it's also interesting the games that are not casual but could be. I don't know if this is getting too much off topic, but if you look at something like Diablo, that's pretty easy for a non-player to go- jump into, especially depending on the kind of character they're playing. Certain classes, you just have to know how to stab things pretty good and then pick up loot. Yeah, the There's Diablo a- the Diablo clone is entirely just, you see that thing that you want to die, click on it until it dies. And usually it has arrows showing what loot is better or worse. If I was blindfolded and had no knowledge of games and was shown that and Burrito Bison and I was asked which one was the casual free-to-play game, I might not be able to pick. To some degree that's not true because there's definitely more lore, there's more gear, but just from a basic mechanic standpoint, there are a lot of games that are serious games that serious gamers play that are about as simple as a casual game to pick up. Exactly. Smash Bros. is another big one. It's not as simple as those others, but it is the premise is definitely fighting games are too complex, let's make fighting games simpler. Yeah, so I guess that would lead into the final question of how do we see those elements find their way into real games? And some of that's been answered in real games <laughs> quote-unquote are exists that have that lower barrier to entry like Smash Bros, like Diablo, where pretty much anybody can jump in and You just sort of figure it out. I think the big thing is the constant stream of rewards. That's key to anything. And I don't think that originated in casual games, so I don't know if it necessarily elevated. I think it's just a common thread. If you're playing Overwatch, playing the other day as Soldier 76, and I heard a McCree call out, It's High Noon, I hit my tactical visor, turned, and jammed a rocket in his teeth, and I felt awesome, because I was able to just shut down that ult. And that gives me the same good feeling. I don't know psych, but I imagine it probably sets off a lot of the same neurochemicals as when I wake up at the beginning of a day in Stardew and my line of 25 kegs all have a bottle of wine in them. And you just go bloop, 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 and pick them all up. (laughs) Well, I think one thing that Overwatch does that's very smart is it has both play of the game, 
the everybody who did things best, you know, you vote for the yeah the cards at the end, the cards at the end, voting for whoever was the VIP of the team, and the highlights. They have a lot of different separate systems for showing you when you were cool. I think that does a lot of the same things that, say, three stars in Angry Birds does, just because it's the game calling out, you did good. And I think that's created a lot in a lot of games organically. Where Bejeweled you when you get the crazy chain of things blowing up and, you know, the British lady is telling you how awesome you are and stuff blows up. It's great. Yeah. Well, also, just in general, RPGs, when you reach your next oh, yeah. level Dang. point, the XP goes and you're like, level up! New skill point! You're like, yes! yes. Mm-hmm. There's always the element in video games where you know when you did something cool. But having someone outside of you give you approval... For some of us approval seekers, that is what what uh, I need. Oh, I really so appreciate I, need. I really appreciate the highlights in Overwatch because a lot of times I'm playing a game and I do something cool and like if it's single player, I'll look around at whoever's in the room while I'm playing, like please tell me somebody saw that. And invariably, like Connor was on his computer or whatever, and nobody saw me do the cool thing. The game is like it's okay, buddy. I saw that and I remember it, and now you can see it too and show all your friends. <laughs> and I think the other thing that big boy games can get from casual games. Is there a lot of good games that are just casual games plus a bit? Diablo is a very simple game mechanic, but they have enough variation in the gear you can get, in the customizations you can make by actually having a storyline, that the Diablo games are elevated from a simple you shoot, you kill. Stardew Valley takes the simple farming games that are seen in a lot of casual games. There are a ton of casual farm games, not just the famous ones, but it adds characters that you can meet, it adds the bundles so you know when you're advancing, and it adds the mines and a lot of other elements so it's not just we have one thing to offer you. There's a point in casual games where they have one thing to offer you and if you run out of the interest level you have in that and they stop giving you new rewards, you kind of drop off. But Stardew is smart in that it diversifies the little things it does. In that way, it's also an elevation of Harvest Moon. Because mm-hmm. Harvest Moon is a little bit more elevated than, like, Farmville. But is definitely, you are a farmer. You can have animals. And some of the later ones had mines, but they weren't quite as in-depth. Yeah. Call out to the most recent episode that you guys recorded what it added was player choice. You could Mm -hmm. play however you wanted and got what you needed from it. And they were all casual things, Mm -hmm. but there's just a variety of casual elements that you can run into. And if you want to go truly hardcore, you do all of them. This is true. And I remember another game that was basically a casual game that I... These are the two that I've bought. It's Wedding Salon and one called Artist Colony, which had a stupid plot, but it had a plot which I appreciated. It was like, There used to be an artist colony that your parents run, and then 20 years later, all the artist children, like the artist child comes back and tries to run an artist colony, and there's a mysterious stranger who might have to do with the old art colony. But I didn't care about any of that. Is he actually the ghost of Vincent Van Gogh? Uh, sure. Because the only way that story is interesting. No, I think it's that he was the son of the artist who was kicked out of the colony because there was some love triangle going on. That's dumb. Yeah, it's dumb. But... It was really cool because there were artists of a lot of different kinds. There were painters, there were sculptors, there were actors. And all of them were building their craft differently. And so you had to make sure that every kind of artist was attended to. And that your colony could be successful because they were all talented enough. 
And so it provided a diversity of things to do instead of a game that's just a casual game where you have an artist, you click on them to pick a paint color, you know, then you pick the right paint color that the customer has ordered that they want in their painting. Game Dev Tycoon, you can choose whether you want to be a mostly independent developer and try a diversity of things. You can eventually just become a company that runs an MMO and just keep expansions and everything coming out for that MMO. You can become a hardware developer. You can become slave to a publisher and push out products that way. You can survive on your previous franchises through sequels or keep innovating. It's not quite as obvious what the different playstyles are, but the playstyles are definitely evident in that, and we can all like we've all gotten addicted to Game uh, Dev Tycoon. Yeah, I forgot how addicted I got <laughs> to Game Dev Tycoon. I think we talked about it in our episode on adaptations how the simulator is possibly the genre that is closest to casual games a lot of the time. Absolutely. And Game Dev Tycoon is another one that does an amazing job of elevating it to that one level higher, where not only do they have a variety of stages that a game goes through, a variety of options, and a lot of little nice touches that shows they know what they're doing, because I really appreciate the underlying knowledge that's evident whenever you play Game Dev Tycoon. They do a thing that you see a lot in superhero movies where they put in the little jokes and gags to show that they know their fans are smart. Yeah. And I think the thing that elevates a lot of games like this is when they acknowledge you're smart. One of my favorite jokes in Game Dev Tycoon is when they release the joint uh-huh. What do they call it? Uh, I forget what they... I, I forget what their thing is, but it was the Nintendo-Sony merged The Nintendo thing, PlayStation, And then yeah. literally the next day, like... Yeah, I... Yeah, that... Honestly, the game earned a whole star for me from that, because I just love that, that that is a thing that, that happens. subtle joke of just, oh, I wonder if they're gonna actually point out that this doesn't happen, and then literally, like, the next day, which, of course, happens pretty much instantaneously. They're like, nope. <laughs> nope. Project canceled. I feel like we've kind of covered everything that we can in a short episode here. To end today's casual discussion on casual games, is there a casual game that you guys would recommend? I would wholeheartedly recommend, I believe it's on Congregate, a game called Paladog. The premise of the game is that it's in a world where humans have destroyed themselves through global warming or nukes or whatever. So critters have inherited the earth. And so you're a dog who is a paladin i believe you're like uh you're a yorkie yeah i want to say you're a yorkie Yorkie. you're wearing full armor is what's hard to tell but you're a yorkie who rides a horse for some reason the horse isn't intelligent but you are whatever it's kind of like a single lane moba almost you ride back and forth on your horse and you gain energy which is over time and you also have a mana meter and so you can use energy to summon Little minions, like a little mouse with a little sword and shield, and eventually that classes up to like little penguin wizards or rhinoceros tanks. Yeah, they're, yeah the other rhinos are big tanks and stuff. The ultimate unit is a dragon. So you just summon little creatures, and then there's your base and there's an enemy base, and the enemy base is sending their little minions. So it, it, it's very similar to a MOBA, but it's just it's two D side scroller, and then you have your different sta- the, your different staves that you can use to cast spells on a separate mana meter, and so you just move back and forth and try to take out enemies and push the same way as you would in a single lane in a MOBA to destroy the enemy base. It's quick, it's fun, it's addictive. They, they occasionally will do different interesting stuff, kind of like Plants vs. Zombies, where like occasionally there will be the mission where you don't have an influence meter and you just get randomly generated allies and stuff like that. It hooked me for a good long time. So, Paladog. Anything ever created by PopCap. 
I actually have a couple. I really love all puzzle games, sorts of things that you can get in those variety puzzle magazine sort of deals. If you're into, like, Unblock Me is a common mm-hmm. one that people do. I also really liked... There's one called Burn the Rope. It's fairly similar to Cut the Rope in concept, but Burn the Rope is you actually have to get rid of rope using only a certain amount of fuel, and you have to get rid of all of it as opposed to just cutting it in half to get a candy swinging across sort of thing. So it's just kind of a silly little thing, but it's definitely enjoyable. One of those that I play like at the bus stop. Another one that I haven't spent a ton of time with because I only just picked it up adventure capitalist basically you start off running like a little lemonade stand it's all resource management-y you set your prices for your lemonade and build your crazy empire it's actually pretty popular and the entire reason i started playing it is because it was a commercial playing at work non-stop for congregate so it's the true capitalism simulator it's the truest capitalism simulator and it is free to play but there are microtransactions within it you see i've been playing i've been role playing my stardew valley farmer as the ultimate capitalist you would like adventure capitalist i ran because i ran with the idea that you used to work at a soul-sucking joja corp job and now you're moving in to destroy the joja mart so he's a farmer with a vendetta and is going to claim back the heart of capitalism by destroying walmart that's how I roleplay him. I, I was torn between Leah and Penny in terms of who to marry, and I chose Penny because she is the one more likely to earn money and provide, whereas Leah was it was dubious. It was more of a risk. She's an artist. See, I was trying to decide between Sebastian and Leah, and I went for Sebastian because he had swoopy hair and a motorcycle. And that is how I played the Stardew Valley. <laughs> well, and with that... We end this appetizer podcast for Volcano Bake Meat. I'm Jessica. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And we'd love to hear what your favorite casual game is and why. Post on any of our social media sites. Thanks and good night. Thanks for listening to Volcano Bake Meat. Join the conversation online by visiting our website, volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com, emailing us at good at gmail.com, following us on Twitter at good, good spelled G-U-D like a lolcat, subscribing to our subreddit, rvolcanobakemeat, following us on Facebook at Volcano Bake Meat Radio, or checking out our YouTube channel, Volcano Bake Meat. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast or review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Our opening theme is by Techne spelled T-E-X-V-N, and you can find his work on SoundCloud. Our about page portraits were drawn by Sarah Tillery. Her art can be found at stillsart.tumblr.com, and she is open for commissions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.